Hey there, I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, and you are listening to the Gondrepreneur.com podcast, where we try to bring you actionable information and normalize cannabis through the stories of gondrepreneurs, activists, and industry stakeholders. Today, I'm really delighted. I've got Dr. Perry Solomon, Chief Medical Officer of HelloMD. They've done a lot of really good research, really good reports coming out of there. How are you doing this morning? Great, great, Tim. Thanks for inviting me to come and talk about cannabis, the medicinal uses, and a little about HelloMD itself. I'm, I'm, I'm super thrilled, like I said. Uh, before we get into the meat of this interview, uh, tell me about yourself. You know, What are your credentials? How would you end up in this space? Well, I graduated from Columbia College of Physicians and Surgeons in New York. I'm a board-certified anesthesiologist. And uh, about uh, two and a half, three years ago, I was introduced to one of the founders of HelloMD, and we were just starting out in terms of providing telehealth evaluations uh, to patients in California. And we, we were introduced and met, and we talked about the need of having a medical officer, chief medical officer, sort of overseeing the physicians. And I did research on cannabis, its uses, uh, and gave a little talk on cannabis at a senior uh, facility that takes care of people 55 and older. And surprisingly, they had a cannabis club already. This was almost three years ago and used everything for pain and used cannabis for pain instead of opioids. And it worked. They were all amazed that it worked. And I was quite frankly amazed as well and did more research and said, found that in fact, it really has a lot of beneficial uses for medical conditions, something that as a physician uh, and graduating a number of years ago, still hadn't been taught or talked about at all. And even currently, very few physicians know about it. So I got involved in the company to educate physicians and be in charge of a lot of the content that's created on HelloMD and to interface with the general public and physicians, informing them about what cannabis is essentially and how it can help people in ver- with who have various medical conditions. So, so you said that you know the the telehealth aspect of HelloMD is is uh, sort of was sort of your introduction uh, to them. Tell tell me a bit more about HelloMD, what you guys do. You know, now that you're releasing all these reports and this research, you know, so so give me a little broader idea of what HelloMD does. Sure. Um, well, you know, basically what we've been doing for two and a half years are the telehealth evaluations, which essentially, you know, as a matter of fact, we just started doing it in New York as well about uh, over about a month, uh, six weeks ago, started uh, telehealth in New York because New York and California are the two major states that allow these types of evaluations and therefore enabling access to people who couldn't see physicians for whatever reason, mobility, et cetera, uh, mobility, privacy, air, areas of town they don't want to go, privacy issues, and just the ability to open to access to people that can't get to a physician. And what we found was after we started seeing more and more patients, we have now about 75,000 recommendations out in California in the past two and a half years, we were able to see and do surveys of these patients because we have the a largest number of patients in one space, in one database, and we're able to see patterns and types of uses of cannabis and want to be able to mine this data and ask our patients who are very 
cooperative and willing to share their information and the experiences they've had with cannabis with other people to educate them as well. So the first study that we did essentially looking at the time was 17,000 uh, patients was in January of 2016, where we just did a general survey of broadly what patients use cannabis for, their age, their demographics, male, female, how they use it, and the types of education, age brackets, et cetera. And this, we found very interesting facts in terms of you know pain being the number one issue, insomnia, depression, anxiety being the top tiers of what people use cannabis for. And so the next study that we did, again, using the, the patient base that we had was looking at pain and opioids and cannabis. And we did that with the University of California, Berkeley. And we just published that in the cannabis uh, and cannab cannabis and cannabinoid research as a official IRB institutional review board study through Berkeley that we asked people, well, what were they able to do with opioids versus cannabis? And not surprisingly, except that for the vast number of people that reacted to the survey, which was over 3,000 patients, 97% were able to get off and decrease their opioid use, and 95% of the 3,000 who answered were able to pref and preferred cannabis over opioids for use. And so what, we're, what we want to be able to do is to educate people and to poll our patients and the general public who are interested in cannabis to see how it is that they affect them and what medical conditions they're able to use it for. Um, the latest one that we did was with the Brightfield Group in Chicago, looking at specifically just CBD and found that 80% of the people were able to get off their current medication and use CBD products, whether it be from hemp or from cannabis, to get off medication that they traditionally use and able to use CBD, which is far safer than whatever it is they had been using previously. So we want to try and use the data that we have to help patients understand, to help manufacturers understand what products they can manufacture that help people with specific medical conditions. So, so let's let's talk a little bit more about this this idea of you know of cannabis uh, being a therapy for pain patients and, and opioids and this whole thing. Um, more, more, on top of your studies, a National Institute on Drug Abuse study uh, with the RAND Corporation found a decrease in opioid prescriptions in medical cannabis states. Um, so paired with, with your studies, we've got a lot of ground to cover here. Um, but let's start with this. As a, as a physician, uh, what does all of this indicate to you? And, and what's your opinion on cannabis being referred to as a, quote, exit drug? Well, I think we've shown it is an exit drug to, for opioids in terms, just, just in terms of 95% preferred it over opioids. And what it means as a physician to me, and what I try to impart to other physicians when I speak with them, is that, yes, I understand, because I, I was in the same boat in terms of never being educated about cannabis, the endocannabinoid system was was not even taught when I went to medical school in the whatever 70s 80s etc and is still to this day only one medical school teaches a course on the endocannabinoid system and 13% of the other 143 mention it in some way shape or form but there's still a reluctance in medical schools to teach anything about this and therefore doctors are coming out of medical school 
really ignorant about it and essentially being introduced to it by their patients, quite frankly. So a physician will sit, will sit there and talk to their patient and, and someone will say, yeah, I start, I, I want to use this instead of opioids. I want to use this type of medication instead of whatever for my menorrhagia, for my menstrual pains. What do you think? And they're looking at them with a blank look on their face because they have no idea what they're talking about. And over the past year or so, it seems more physicians are more curious about wanting to learn more about cannabis to see what it is that's out there and to see how it affects their patients. And so I try to educate the physicians that this is a legitimate type of medication and specifically talking about opioids, it's an option that perhaps they can't re recommend their patient to do personally themselves. And I'll go into why that happens in a few, in a few minutes, but at least to be open to say, yes, cannabis would be something that you could try instead of opioids. And perhaps you should get a recommendation from the physician who is able to do this for you. And that goes back to why they're not able to do it themselves. And it still is, quite frankly, a Schedule One drug, uh, according to the DEA. And so some physicians are reluctant to write a recommendation for cannabis for something that's a Schedule One substance. And whether it's the fear of that or they're in, for example, the VA system, and because it's a Schedule One and VA is a federal organization, they can't talk about it. They can can't definitely can't recommend it. That's changed recently where they can, in some instances, discuss it, but they won't be able to write a recommendation for it. So physicians though are getting more aware. They're getting to the point where yes, it's something that they can suggest to their patient to go, to do, and we'd be happy to educate them more about it, the physicians that is, to be able to say, yes, this is an option to look at and you should learn about it as best you can. So in, in your opinion, as a physician, what's it going to take to get more of these you know, doctors and, and other medical professionals that are able to uh, recommend cannabis in, in legal states on board with getting involved in the program or, or openly having these discussions? Well, we hope these types of studies that we're doing, you know, at, at HelloMD with the Brightfield Group, with Berkeley and other major institutions across the country to be able to say, listen, we can't do. And, and yeah, yeah I, I like I said, I went to Columbia, very traditional school, like a lot of physicians and really not just Columbia, most medical schools and the professors who teach there. You want double blind studies. You want this type of study, that type of study. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, there's been over 8000 studies published about the endocannabinoid system, cannabis, what works, what doesn't work. The fact is most of them are published overseas. And quite frankly, you know, medical schools and U.S. physicians can be a little snobbish in terms of where the studies come from, how they're done. And with the, with the FDA having a Schedule One license on cannabis, they're very, the studies based in the U.S. are very difficult to do. They're very time-consuming, very costly. And the studies will take several years with that type of outlook in terms of the results that they want to see to be able to come out so people actually see the result perhaps one, two, three years later. They are starting to look at studies from Israel, from Great Britain, from Germany, where these types of studies have been going on for years with 
you know, that yes, they are overseas, but they're legitimate studies. And hopefully at least the surveys that we do with the patients is enough to convince the physicians to start looking at those studies as legitimate ones and to perhaps incorporate it into their base knowledge of cannabis does function, does work for certain medical conditions. It doesn't work for everything. It's not a panacea for every disease in mankind, but there are conditions for which it definitely has been shown to work. Like the National Academy of Sciences, the government agency in January came out that, that with enough documentation that they went over that cannabis is an alternative for chronic pain. For, well, it helps chronic pain, therefore is an alternative to opioids. So in, in these, uh, the, these studies that you've conducted, that you've been a part of, what's sort of been the most surprising thing to you to come out of these? Well, honestly, the, the, the 95 and 97% was stunning to me personally um, in terms of that's almost everyone was able to get off their or de- and decrease the use of their opioids from what they had been taking previously. Now, with, with 91 deaths a day and the three quarters of them due to um, prescription drugs, you're, you're talking about you know 60 people a day perhaps not dying because they've been taking cannabis, which you can't overdose from instead of opioids. So that number just, just blows me away in terms of the number of lives that can be saved if patients, one and two physicians, try and suggest it to, to their patients. Now, you know, I'm an anesthesiologist. I, I've written pain, pain medication. And, you know, there is an issue for physicians to be willing to do that. So, for example, Tim, patient sits down in front of me and says, I have chronic back pain, for example. And they have a prescription pad that says Percocet. You can take one Percocet every three or four hours. PRN for pain, and it's very predictable. You know that pill has this many milligrams of Percocet, Percodan in it, Oxycontin. You know, it has a specific um, measured dose of narcotic. Then you have the other prescription pad, and it's for cannabis. Well, at this point in time, what's the physician supposed to write? One puff, take a take a bite of this this brownie, take a throat, take a take a lozenge, a lozenge, take this hit out of a vape pen. It's all very nebulous. And so without rigid controls as to what's in specific doses of a cannabis puff or a cannabis meter dose, what's in this edible that's nationally standardized across across at least this in maybe even individual states. But so a physician can actually write something. The other problem is that it's unfortunately unlike medication the way it's been traditionally prescribed, is that the medication itself reacts differently with the people. What works for one person may not in fact work for the other. So the patient may need to take a little bit less and this patient may take a little bit more and the physician doesn't really understand that or know in advance how much to give the patient. So a lot of this, and we tell our patients and everyone quite frankly does, is you start low and slow. In other words, you start with a low dose, start building it up to see the effect it has individually on you. And then that's the dose that you stick with. And again, it's going to be different per person. So the physician needs to be educated about this as well, which is one of the reasons, quite frankly, that instead of a reschedulization of cannabis from a two to perhaps from a one to a two, which is Percocet or three to Vicodin, the physician is going to always have that trouble. Quite frankly, I think it should be deschedulized altogether 
and just have it in the in, in a pharmacy or wherever where the patient proves they're of age and the ingredients that have been documented are in the on the label and it's used to effect in other words the patient again needs to start themselves and see what it is that works for them sort of like what alcohol is you know you take one drink this cocktail works for you many people are not going to have to have two or three but if that person has a high tolerance, they may in fact need more. The same with cannabis. Well, we got a lot of ground to cover, and and this is all this is all just so fascinating to me. You know, get, getting the insight of uh, you know of a, of a physician uh, on these issues, these very very serious issues. Uh, but before we uh, keep digging, we got to take a short break. This is the Entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Brandfall. If you are looking for a job in the rapidly growing and highly competitive cannabis industry, Gontrepreneur.com is the place to look. Visit the Gontrepreneur job board today to browse current openings with cannabis companies throughout the United States, from entry-level bud tender positions to executive-level career opportunities. You can also create a profile and upload your resume to be discovered by cannabis recruiters. Visit our job board at jobs.gontrepreneur.com to create your profile today. If you are a business owner, you can post your job openings for as little as $25 on our job board to reach the largest and most engaged audience of cannabis professionals on the web. Companies who are listed in the Gondrepreneur Business Directory are eligible for free job listings. If you are already signed up, contact us today via the website or send us an email at grow at to activate your unique coupon. Hey, welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfault, here with Dr. Perry Solomon, Chief Medical Officer for HelloMD. Um, so so before the break, we were talking a bit about the stigma that exists within the medical community. I want to talk to you a bit about, uh, how, you know, about dispelling the, the stigma uh, for would-be patients. How do you get some of those pain patients on board who have been, you know, taking the opioids for years or... Uh, you know, are, are not, they're, they're, they're just not ready to take the cannabis plunge. How do you, how do you work with them? How do you get them on board? Well, it's, you know, it's a process. It's something where, you know, well, patients, well, how would a patient approach it? I mean, we would see the patient, quite frankly, when they were already ready to use cannabis for that, because they're coming to us for their recommendation. Um, like for example, when we give lectures at various communities, at you know, senior care facilities or senior communities, um, you know, we try and say, listen, you know, the, the effects of the opioids that they're taking are, 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 are huge in terms of obviously the first one that, that comes up is, is is constipation and we ask you know if people are constipated from from taking opioids uh, you know that's a huge issue and obviously I don't know if you, you saw the Super Bowl I think it was two or three years ago they uh, a company came out with a medication to cure the constipation that the medication caused. Um, and so they're actually making money um, both ways and taking the medication for the opioids and giving you a medication, Muvantic is what it's called, to get rid of your your, your constipation. So the side effects of that, the, the stupor, some people get nauseated from opioids. Some people just get dizzy and dysphoric and can't drive because they're just dizzy all the time from taking opioids or nauseated. So we try and educate them 
said, listen, these are side that you have pain, you may have chronic pain, you may be on Oxycontin. So the education of the patients to say, here, here's a medication. Yes, you were, you may have been a child of the, of the, of the sixties and seventies. You told your kids say no to drugs, um, which is, which is all well and good. And no children, uh, I don't feel unless they have a medical condition to take it for should, should have, should be using cannabis because there are effects that it has on their, their mental abilities, et cetera. But for these people who were trained to say no on drugs, the Nancy Reagan mantra, um, the times have really changed in terms of the ability of the cannabis community and, and manufacturers to make more targeted types of medication for certain medical conditions, for pain, for example, or for in, for you know, sexual dysfunction, for, for women, for different types of products that have different concentrations of THC and CBD. So someone might say, listen, I just want something for inflammation. I have Crohn's or whatever. I don't want to get high. I don't want to have that dysphoric psychoactive effect. Well, there are types of cannabis now, whether it be a plant, whether it be a vape, whether it be uh, a tincture that's able to concentrate a CBD, which doesn't have the psychoactive effects versus the THC, which does have it. So someone would take something with a very low THC level and a high CBD level and wouldn't get the effect that perhaps they're afraid of getting. So it's the ability to tell these patients and, and people, consumers to say, yes, there's an option. You don't always have to use cannabis or they might say if i'm using pot i'm going to get high that's just not true so so now we've got we we have all of the you know you you would let me start that over so so we have uh you know this this just crazy death toll from opioids it's it's you know it's a it's a national health crisis uh they call it the opioid epidemic I'm, I'm sure you know that um but in your opinion you know in this fight why haven't states fully embraced medical cannabis as a tool given the various studies reports and anecdotal evidence well i mean you mean the states that well there there are only 30 states now the dc 29 in dc that allow medical cannabis and it, it is a fight from state to state even in those some of them hadn't even had pain, chronic pain as an indication um, for being able to use cannabis uh, instead of opioids. And I just gave a testimony to the California Medical Board um, in terms of using our medical board and having them help promote the California model one, using telehealth to increase access, and two, that's therefore not requiring a physical exam so more patients can actually obtain cannabis to be able to use instead of opioids. You know, the states like West Virginia, New Hampshire, Vermont, all these states that have horrific death tolls due to opioid overdoses um, would be beneficial to be able to have telehealth so that patients who can't get to a doctor, because quite frankly, you know, there's not that many doctors that are doing recommendations in states where they need to have a storefront, because for what the reasons I had mentioned previously, they don't want to get involved in the DEA, they don't want to have to be known as the pot doctor, and so people, other physicians don't refer patients to them because they don't understand exactly what it is if they're 
doing in terms of using cannabis to try and exit out of opioids. So the legislatures, you know, need to make be aware of this. And I think again, with more and more studies like what we're doing, with more and more surveys, with more and more pressure, and you know, hopefully programs such as yours will be able to help these people to understand that there is a way, there is an alternative other than opioids to be able to treat their chronic pain and hopefully decrease the amount of, of opioid deaths. So about six months ago, the, the New Mexico legislature, actually, or the New Mexico governor actually vetoed a bill that would have added opioid use dependence uh, to their medical cannabis regime. I'm wondering if, if, if in your opinion, this is uh, something that should be added to these regimes uh, and you know whether or not just adding the chronic pain is enough or should should you know the the state boards who make these recommendations go the step further and add that disorder you know there's a there's a clinic in California down by Los Angeles that actually is doing uh, using cannabis to exit out of opioid abuse um, so there is a precedent for that to be done again whether or not it's education for this gentleman uh, or what it would take for them to do it but I think it's it's an option that should be on the table for anyone treating Opio uh, opioid dependency to be able to try, especially in states where it's legal in the first place. So I think it would definitely be an option that should be out there for treatment centers to be able to use it for that. So, and then are there any uh, underreported conditions for medical cannabis uh, that it may be useful, you know, it, that you've sort of discovered in your conversations with patients, other health professionals, and in your research? No, there's. I mean, the, the the top four that I had mentioned before, uh, you know, pain, anorexia, you know, my, I mean, pain, uh, yeah, anorexia, migraines, depression, anxiety, um, are really the, the the top ones. I mean, it all it goes all the way down to you know, a few patients find it useful for this. So you know, many medications. There are many medical conditions. You know, there's innumerable medical conditions. Whether, like I said, whether it works for all of them, I. I I don't know. We try and concentrate essentially the surveys and the studies on the ones that really affect the, the most people. Um, you know, quite frankly, for an example, I mean, there's there's a, 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 a farm, a drug, a cannabis drug called Foria from a company Foria that has been that's been treating um, menstrual cramps. Um, so it's something you know that's a suppository in it, that's in, that's in, uh, put into the the vagina. And so there's there you know you just think of all the medical conditions and the delivery systems that's able to be used for this. Are you know so there's many medical conditions. That say, well, let me try cannabis. Maybe a different way to administer it. Whether a different concentration, a different a different type of THC CBD mixture, a terpene composition. I mean, in other words, eventually what will happen at some point in time, and there are companies, medical genomics, that are looking into the genetics of the plant and the genetics of people, and to hopefully at some point in time have targeted cannabis. In other words, someone has a specific medical condition with this gene sequence. Let's see if we can develop a specific compound for that person and that specific medical condition. If it's not specific for the person, then perhaps the type of medical condition that they have, we can create a specific 
medication, cannabis medication, specifically for that condition. That's really the, the, the gold ring that everyone's trying to do, that they can have an, an oil or a tincture or a, a plant that specifically works for for depression, specifically works for anxiety, specifically works for Crohn's disease and autoimmune disease. So hope, hope that's the hope at some point in time that will happen. And then beyond that, it'll be targeted to an individual person and their genes because each person in the medical condition itself has a different reaction to the medication based on their genetic components. So Eventually, it'll get like that. We're far away from that happening, but that's the hope that will happen at some point in time in the future. That's that's a really incredible thing to think about that we could eventually come to a place where you can breed cannabis for individuals for for them to to treat uh, for them to use as a therapy. That's that's really cool to think about. Um, I want to talk to you a bit more about telehealth. Uh, before we do that, we got to take a short break. This is the Entrepreneur.com podcast. I'm T.G. Brandfall. At Gontrepreneur, we have heard from dozens of cannabis business owners who have encountered the issue of cannabis, which is when a mainstream business, whether a landlord, bank, or some other provider of vital business services, refuses to do business with them simply because of their association with cannabis. We have even heard stories of businesses being unable to provide health and life insurance for their employees because the insurance providers were too afraid to work with them. We believe that this fear is totally unreasonable and that cannabis business owners deserve access to the same services and resources that other businesses are afforded, that they should be able to hire consultation to help them follow the letter of the law in their business endeavors, and that they should be able to provide employee benefits without needing to compromise on the quality of coverage they can offer. This is why we created the Gontrepreneur.com Business Service Directory, a resource for cannabis professionals to find and connect with service providers who are cannabis friendly and who are actively seeking cannabis industry clients. If you are considering hiring a business consultant, lawyer, accountant, web designer, or any other ancillary service for your business, go to Gontrepreneur.com businesses to browse hundreds of agencies, firms, and organizations who support cannabis legalization and who want to help you grow your business. With so many options to choose from in each service category, you will be able to browse company profiles and do research on multiple companies in advance so you can find the provider who is the best fit for your particular need. Our business service directory is intended to be a useful and well-maintained resource, which is why we individually vet each listing that is submitted. If you are a business service provider who wants to work with cannabis clients, you may be a good fit for our service directory. Go to gondrepreneur.com businesses to create your profile and start connecting with cannabis entrepreneurs today. Hey, welcome back to the Gontrepreneur.com podcast. I'm your host, T.G. Brandfold, here with Dr. Perry Solomon, Chief Medical Officer for HelloMD. Um, so I want to talk to you a bit about telehealth. Um, how has telehealth impacted uh, m the medical cannabis space? Well, I mean, I could talk about, you know, California, obviously, because I'm most familiar, familiar with it. And, you know, it started in October of 2014 when the Medical Board of California 
realized that telehealth and tele, telehealth was essentially something that's been sweeping the country and that's a viable means of evaluating patients for various medical conditions for various um, uh, from from various physicians and so they changed the require the regulations in October of 14 to say that telehealth evaluations for cannabis specifically was acceptable. And as long as you meet the standards of care with the history and the history of the patient, what's going on, and you speak with them using remote capabilities. So when we started in March of the following year, 2015, um, the people were flocking to us in terms of saying, thank goodness there's a facility, there's a way to talk to somebody like this using my laptop, using my cell phone, using my iPad or whatever to talk to someone because there's no doctor near me. There's no one near me to be able to speak with, to go into their office to do an evaluation or the physician is in an area of the town where they can't park. It's a seedy area of town. They worry about privacy issues. Who's going to see me in this pot in essentially a pot doctor's office. Um, I have mobility issues. I have a wheelchair. It takes me hours to get any place. And it was, it just went on and on and on. So the way we looked at it and I continue to look at it is that it increases access to people that normally can't get to a physician where they can't see a physician face to face. And we're able to take care and service this population, uh, at, you know, across California. And my hope is because telehealth is used in 49 states in the country, almost 50 now, um, in some way, shape, or form to be evaluated forever for a myriad of specialties, not just people looking for cannabis, of course, but for, for everything, teledoc, there's all these companies that are doing millions and millions of evaluations across the country. And yes, they're treating conditions, they have, you know, tightest media, you know, ear problems with a kid or a sore throat or creams for ointments, et cetera. Well, here's something that, which is great, and they get better to be able to do that. Well, here we're using telehealth, if we can do it in other states across the country, other than California and New York, just think of the number of people, as I think I mentioned previously, that would be able to be evaluated for their pain, for example, and to say, yes, now you can take cannabis instead of taking the opioids. And again, decrease the opioid epidemic by being able to increase the access to the maximum number of people to be able to access the ability to get cannabis. So, so if you have, if there's 49 states that allow telehealth and then there's 26 states plus DC that have medical cannabis regimes, what prevents these regimes from allowing telehealth? It seems sort of nonsensical. Yes. Well, they do. They specifically, in other states, they specifically exclude or specifically, well, they specifically exclude cannabis because when they had the telehealth laws in the first place, they just said that. They just made them as evaluations. And then separately, just you know, several years ago when it started, in terms of this, the, the um, ability of the laws across the country sweeping to legalize medical cannabis, they make these medical cannabis regulations the legislature does and specifically say examinations need to be made in person. Um, and that's where hopefully push from our Medical Board of California, for example, or us at Hello MD or other interested parties would be able to lobby the legislature to be able to do telehealth evaluations. 
Of course, there's going to be, you know, arguments and fights, perhaps even and probably from physicians saying that, well, it's a, you know, it's a schedule one drug. We don't know anything about it. There's been no studies. Why doing this? You know, a physical exam is vital for being able to do this. I don't care about what what the telehealth laws say, you know, so there's there's arguments from physicians and possibly ignorance from legislatures as well. Um, to be able to want to use tele-evaluations for helping people get access to cannabis. It sounds incredibly frustrating uh, from, from your point of view. Um, but, but moving on a little bit, how do you stay up to date with the newest products and therapies that are available? Well, you know, we we have on our site, you know, manufacturers who present their products um, and we introduce them, we interview them and talk about them. Um, When someone says, you know, I have a a, a vape pen that vibrates when when, you know, you've done with your meter dose, like like Humboldt, for example, um, you know, that's that's unusual. That's different. I mean, if someone says, yeah, we have a different you know, cartridge and, you know, it's a different color or something, you know, that's, that's, that's okay. But, but manufacturers come to us to introduce their products because they know that if it's really unique, if it's really special, or it's something that's different, that's in, in, then that's been in the market previously, that we'll put it out and say, Hey, look at, look at this new product. And we have hundreds of thousands of members across the country that look to us for information. I mean, and we do, you know, obviously reading and medical journals, you know, what, what Whatever comes up from my my perspective, but we have a very actively engaged uh, member base who also introduce products to us and say, "Hey, you know, Perry or Pamela or Mark or whomever, um, I ran across this product in this state, for example, and what do you you know what do you think about it? And let me introduce this to you." So we get feedback from our patients as well and our members as well, introducing us to products because we can't be everywhere, and obviously we're based in. California and also now New York, but there are also all the other states where different products are available or not available because something that's manufactured here can't be, you know, shipped over to a, di- a different state um, just because of the interstate transport laws. So something and what's available and what medical conditions. And like, for example, in New York State, you can't smoke flour, um, but obviously you can here in California. So there's different states have different types of products that are available. And so even though something's a whiz bang thing here in California, perhaps no one else in the country can get it. So we have to try and differentiate what products are available in what areas of the country. So finally, I got to ask you, you know, as a physician, what's the most medically fascinating thing to you about cannabis? Um, well, here's a essentially a weed that has unbelievable medical potential. And, uh, you know, yes, you know, a lot of plant opioids, like obviously the opioids, you know, come, come from a plant as well. Um, but the, the many different types of strains and derivatives that we're able or going to be able to get from a single plant, you know, for the hundred or so compounds that make up the plant eventually. And hopefully there'll be, like I said before, more specific 
uh, products made from a single plant to help multiple medical conditions instead of you know, the mold on bread for penicillin. That's great. It treats you know the, what what penicillin treats. Here, for example, the plant can treat you know a range of medical problems uh, and medical conditions from one single plant. And I think you know it's been around for thousands and thousands of years. In Asia, they've used it for forever. In South America, so. I think Western medicine needs to open their eyes and to say, yes, there are options out there. Let's look at this plant and not make it so difficult to do research, not make it a stigma for people to use because it does work in so many areas. And and finally, um, what advice would you have for other medical professionals that are you know, sort of exploring, you know, maybe dipping their toes into becoming uh, recommenders or, you know, th- those those medical professionals that aren't yet in the space but might be considering it who are listening. There are courses that uh, are given around the country. There's, there's online courses. Um, the Society of Cannabis Clinicians has a CME-approved course that patients that, – that I, we make all of our physicians take uh, in California. There's a – different states now have different regulations for taking courses in New York. That our, our physicians and, and nurse practitioners take the answer page course, which is given out of Boston, uh, which, is, which is mandated to be done – in multiple states. In Florida, it's mandated. In New York, it's mandated that they need to take these courses. So it's really the first step to take courses that are CME, you know, uh, continuing medical education approved courses to be able to take these to get a basic knowledge and a background of cannabis, the history, how it's, you know, how it grows, what it's used for, et cetera. So I would encourage physicians and nurse practitioners and, you know, anyone interested in getting a further depth of knowledge to take these types of organized courses. And there are courses given all over the country about it, but of course you have to travel. Um, These are online courses that make it easier for a physician and just the general public to be able to take, um, to be able to educate themselves about cannabis in an organized manner. Well, Dr. Solomon, I really want to thank you. I know you're a busy guy. I know you have a lot going on for for taking the time to come on the show. This has really been an enlightening uh, conversation for me and I'm sure for the listeners. Uh, Where can people find out more uh, about the services that you offer in HelloMD? Well, it's right on our on our our website www.hellomd.com, and patients and members um, could or anyone could really you register your name, and that's all you do, and you're able to ask questions to the first page is just ask a question here. And as you type in your question, there have been thousands and thousands of questions answered and asked, and people may have asked the same question. You can see the responses from our physicians, from manufacturers, from patients in different areas of the country, trying to find out what works best in their area and what works best for their medical condition. And if you need a cannabis recommendation uh, in can you're in California, um, we'd be happy to take care of you or in New York as well. Well, thanks again for, for coming on the show. Uh, you know, I appreciate everything that, that you're doing to raise awareness and, and you know, uh, really being on the forefront of these studies because, you know, everyone knows that we need a lot more of those in order to uh, change the public's perception. So uh, Godspeed to you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me, Tim. I appreciate the opportunity to talk.
You can find more episodes of the Gontrepreneur.com podcast in the podcast section of Gontrepreneur.com and in the Apple iTunes store. On the Gontrepreneur.com website, you will find the latest cannabis news and cannabis jobs updated daily along with transcripts of this podcast. You can also download the Gontrepreneur.com app in iTunes and Google Play. I've been your host, T.G. Brandfault. 